Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. This is the W2 Prison Break Show, the podcast to help you fire your boss and become the CEO of your own business in under 12 months. I'm your host, Brian O'Neill. And if this is the first time listening to the show, welcome. I hope you enjoy it. And for those of you who are returning listeners, you know I love you. Thanks for tuning in every single week. Today, we are speaking with Steve Sims, and he has been quoted as the real-life Wizard of Oz. And that's all I'm going to say about that. You're going to have to listen to the episode to understand why he's been referred to as that. He's got a lot of energy and an awesome accent and a really great mentality that he likes to refer to as go for stupid. Let's get straight to this episode. I really think you're going to love it. Hey, Steve, welcome to the W2 Prison Break Show, my friend. Glad to have you on. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here. Yeah, likewise, we got a lot to dive into today. The first question I'm going to ask you is, and this is, I, this is in your book, your Go For Stupid book, which I love the title of that. And I encourage everyone to check that out. But there's a lot of people out there that are listening that are in busy nine to five jobs. You know, maybe they've started a side hustle. Maybe they're dabbling and stuff. But why are they stuck? Like, why are people stuck? Why are people scared? Can you talk about that? There were, there were two common reasons I find that people aren't making the movement. One of them is, I think one of them is scarier than the other. But the first one is quite simply that fear that unknown. Um, over the years, entrepreneurism has become the, the the sparkly little object. You know, oh my God, I'm an entrepreneur. But me and you, we're both older than Google. We remember that, you know, when we were an entrepreneur in the 80s and 90s, without there was a stigma. You know, if you were an entrepreneur in the 90s, it meant that you were probably selling stolen car audio out the back of your car. You know, it meant, oh, you couldn't get a real job. Today, people go, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. Oh, what industry are you in? What are you disrupting? You know, people want to know because we revere entrepreneurs today. Today's rock stars are entrepreneurs, okay? Mm -hmm. But every entrepreneur in the planet has been sued, ripped off, lied to, laughed at. You know, things have gone wrong and we've carried on going. It's a tough journey. And if you haven't had those things happen to you, wait, I guarantee they're going to happen because it happens to every entrepreneur. So there's this fear of stepping into that, that desert and you don't know where you're going to be attacked from, okay? Now, the good thing about today is we've got podcasts, we've got Facebook groups, we've got masterminds. We've got loads of these kind of things where we can get into those, you know, weird kids of Hogwarts kind of environment to go, hey, I want to start a business. What should I be looking out for? What should I be? So we've got a lot more information available to us today. We've also got a lot more charlatans out there selling us snake oil again. They go, hey, if you buy my $10 course, I'll make you a millionaire before Sunday. So you've really got to be careful of the information. But a lot of it now is fear. And I'm going to do the thing. I'm going to quote Patrick Swayze from the greatest man movie in the planet, Point Break. He says, fear causes hesitation, and hesitation will cause your worst fears to come true. So fear is stopping people going ahead from trying. And here's the beautiful thing. When you try and you fail, you learn, you become educated, you become credible at that action, and then you learn from it. And then you go to the next one. So fear, uh, 
fear of failing is kind of like a misconception. You want to fail, you want to fail often, and you want to fail up. So the first reason people don't move is that fear. Just, just that word. Oh, what if? Well, here's something to think about. What if you don't take a shot? What if you don't try? You know, what if in a year from now, you're in the same desk job that you are today? Isn't that scarier? So that's, that's the first thing, is that word of fear and also the use of it. You should actually flip it on its head. Fear means that I have to do something today because, oh, my God, I don't want to be here again. My dad, oh, sorry, my granddad was on the same building site as me, and he was, like, knocking on 80 years old. And I had just started, and I was 17 years old. And I said to him, granddad, did you ever think you'd be on the building site at your age? And he turned around and he said to me, if you don't quit today, you'll be me tomorrow. Oh. And that started my journey. So the first reason people don't move is because they're mishandling of fear. That's the first thing. The other thing that people often overlook is comfort and success. Now, I know it sounds funny to go, people don't move because of the comfort and success, when, hey, don't we want comfort and success? But people get comfortable in their nine-to-five job, getting their paycheck. Their paycheck covers the car, covers that couple of points on a weekend. They're comfortable. They're successful. They've got nothing to worry about. But then that's also a comfort lane that personally I don't want to live in. I want to get challenged. I want to get fearful. I want to get excited about things. And excitement and growth doesn't come from comfort and success. So. Those are the two reasons. One, they're comfortable. Two, they're mishandling fear. Okay. I went through this. I'm sure you did too, uh, Steve, and thanks for sharing that. So in, instead of saying, hey, what if, like what if the sky falls, you're suggesting to everyone listening that, hey, what if I don't do this? What's oh, going to yeah. happen? Though That's the question that we should be asking ourselves. And maybe play with that and write it out and, and really take it down the road. Like, hey, what if I don't do this? What's going to happen versus what could happen? Do you know, I'm going to give you the scariest statement. And that's, that, it's always tough when you say, hey, I'm going to give you the scariest. Oh. Um, Joe Polish, a friend of mine, actually coined it in a statement once. He said, the definition of hell is to meet the man or woman that you could have been. Oh. That's Joe. That's not me. He's a bit smart every now and then. Yeah. To meet the man that you, man or woman that you could have been. Yeah. Wow. Good share. I like that. Okay. The other thing you talked about was comfort and success. Mm -hmm. We get comfortable in our nine to five jobs. And hey, look, some entrepreneurs get comfortable too. I think a lot of them too. And I want to talk to you a little about mindset because I think that the, the folks who get over the comfort and success and, and, and start anyway, start a business. I think they take some of those bad habits from their nine to five job into said mm. business. And maybe that's why they fail versus, hey, the business was a bad idea. You shouldn't have done that. I just think that we we bring the wrong mentality into business. Do you have any thoughts on that, Steve? Yeah, it's a, what is it? The rough seas make great sailors. Another little tagline someone gave me many years ago was get comfortable with being uncomfortable. You see, if you take the skill set from your nine to five, think you can apply that when you are solely responsible for your business taking off, then you're doing the wrong thing straight away. Okay. 
is like being fluent in Chinese and speaking to a German person. It, it just doesn't make sense. You know, no matter how good you are at it, there's no connection. So you've really got to understand that what you do, and this is a mantra that I teach my clients within my coaching, the first time you do anything, you'll be shit. That's it. The first, first website you do. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick on you. Right? I guarantee you. And how long have you been doing these podcasts? Uh, I've probably done uh, 100 and 200 episodes, including guests. How do you feel about the first one you ever did? It was terrible. And it was supposed to be. Of course it was. Of course. Now, here's the funny thing. Yeah. You probably thought it was cool, you know, until you started getting into it and you're like, hang on a minute, that that wasn't as good. And then like six months later, hey, that one's quite embarrassing. You know, a hundred podcasts later, you're like, whoa, I can't believe I let that on air. The first time we do anything is shit. When you know that, you can accept it and you can go, oh, let's go. Friend of mine, Ari Mizell, said, get going and then concentrate on getting good. So is that momentum that you need to do first. Jumping into the business, you need to interview yourself. Why am I doing this? What's bothering me about my life? What's aggravating me about my life that is compelling me to take the riskier alternative? the darker, scarier lane. That's going to get me scared. That's going to get me uncomfortable. But I know, hey, I've got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And you know what happens? When you can get uncomfortable, when you can get comfortable with being uncomfortable, when the tides get rough, you excel. The mm. amount of entrepreneurs that did incredibly well, including me, during COVID, during a recession, during interest hikes, during a downturn, during a political year, in a year where we're going to get emails, texts, social postings there to disrupt, concern, and let's be serious, scare us into voting for somebody. These are rough seas. When you can be comfortable with being uncomfortable, you can look at that and go, I see where that's coming. I'm all right. And I'm going to do something with it to my benefit. Yeah. Makes complete sense. COVID was the year that I quit my job, folks. A lot of you, you know that. That's the year I left my job because I was getting very uncomfortable. Now, a lot of people know this, Steve. They say to themselves, I know that I got to do it. I got to be uncomfortable. I know it's going to be bad. And look, the other thing about the first podcast is nobody listens to it anyway. So if y'all are worried about... <laughs> sucking, right? No one's yeah. going to be there to even witness the thing because nobody's watching. Yeah. So we know this, right? We know as we go in and we still are in this stuck position. We're still blocked. We still won't do it. How do you help somebody get over that when they know it and they still don't act anyways? So how aggravated are you? How happy are you with your life? How happy are you with the relationship you've got in your family? How happy are you with your level of support for your family? Mm. You know, and if the answer's like, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, then don't do it, you know? But if you're sitting there going, well, I've got a boss that's crap. For a start, one of the beautiful things about being an entrepreneur is that you are the reason everything goes wrong and you are the reason that everything goes right. And so you've now got that ability to be able to go, it's my life, you know, my son, is an entrepreneur, he works with me. We've got our own program and community sims distillery. And now he's in Berlin 
Because being an entrepreneur has given him that freedom to work wherever he wants. Now he's still got to work. I'm sure as hell he's probably put a couple of hours in in the day and then enjoying the coffee shops around Berlin. And that's the beauty that we get from being an entrepreneur. We're in control. But hey, if you like where you are, stay. If you don't like where you are, then do something about it and let yourself get aggravated. I love aggravation because if you're sitting here and you're going, oh, I've got a spot on the wall there. I don't like the, I don't like the wallpaper, you know? You'll do nothing about it. But if you're sitting there going, oh, my God, I keep noticing that, you'll do something about it. So how aggravated are you about your life? And I'm going to hit you with how, how much have you settled for where you are? I don't know about you, but I don't settle for shit. You know, if I've got a bad mark on my sneakers and I can't get rid of it, I'll buy a new pair of sneakers. If my jeans are starting to get roughed up or starting to get faded out too much and I don't like the stuff, Buy a new pair. If I don't get a meal I like, if I don't get a drink delivered it to me, if I don't, I got on the podcast earlier, if someone's late to see me, my standards are always going to be higher than yours. My standards are always going to be higher than my standards were last week. So how much are you willing to settle for where you are and those around you? Don't settle. No. Great advice. Love that. Okay, Steve, go for stupid. Yeah. What a great name. I love that. Thank you. Talk a little bit about what that means to you. Go for stupid. So it was actually, funnily enough, it was something that we used to say years ago. And I used to run a, a very high-end concierge firm to billionaires all over the world. And I realized that if I just actually gave them what they asked for, I'd completed a transaction. I was no different from Amazon. But if I actually challenged what they wanted to give them something beyond what they thought they could get... Then I now had a connection, and I also had that loyalty. I had them as my front line of marketing. So this is how we used to do it, and, and this is how we do it now with all of our coaching clients. Mm -hmm. So let me play with you, Brian. If I say to you, hey, what do you want to do in your next year? And you go, hey, I, I, I wanna, I've been making $250,000, and I want to break through that. I want to make $300,000. And I go, it's great. Let's, let's, let's build a plan and let's, let's break through that impossible time. Let's make the impossible possible. Now, you've heard all of those things before. And when you're doing that, it's like you're going into a battle, isn't it? You get all kind of gritty and let's break through this impossible scene. But if I say to you, okay, you want to hit 300,000? Let's go for 600,000 and fail. Let's go for stupid, Brian. Now, the funny thing that happens when I tell you to go for stupid is you become a child. And when you become a child, you start playing, you start laughing, you start creating, and you don't get tired. If I stick you in a fight, you've got five minutes of fisticuffs in you. Tops. That's why there's rounds in boxing and MMA, because even the best people, they need those. They can't do 30 minutes flat out. Well, we can all play for hours. So if you change the mentality, instead of fighting an impossible goal and an impossible dream, have yourself go for stupid and become a child. Now, what's going to happen is you're going to go for $600,000 and you're going to fail and achieve 500000 You see, when we go for ridiculous, stupid goals, we go for the moonshot. Elon Musk, I want to go to space. Now, how do I get there? 
You know, I'm going to buy Twitter. How many people laugh at those people that we now revere because they had ridiculous goals? And then they, then they went for them. And they made mistakes all the way through. And they learned from their mistakes. And they became incredibly educated. So go for stupid is a mindset of the art of achieving ridiculous goals by first putting yourself in a position and a mindset to be able to receive those. Yes. And that's a win. You don't get to the 600,000, you get to half a million. That's a win. I, I, I love that. You, you failed up. And that's the problem. Everyone goes, well, you know, I'm going to go for what is a couple of millimeters away from my fingertips. And that's the thing. We always go for what we think we can achieve that inside we know that if we push ourselves is an easy target. You yeah. know, I'm making 250,000. Oh, I want to make 300. The, the, the growth of what you need to do to get from 250 to just another 50 grand to 300 is basically doing an extra millimeter of work a day. But why don't you push yourself to what you can achieve and then have that as the new standard? Do you have an example of maybe a stupid, ridiculous goal that's not related to money that you set and didn't achieve? Do you know what the funny thing is? The more you try, the more people say yes. There is a story that I actually wrote about it in Bluefish and then in you know, this book that you, know, you very thankfully plugged, Go For Stupid. Um, when I was a concierge, I had a client that wanted to have an amazing dining experience in Florence. Now, I could have easily have, you know, got a table, contacted the restaurant, uh, paid a few, you know, a few bucks to the, to the chef to come out and greet my client and maybe invite them back into the, and that would have been lovely. But how far could I take, I want an amazing dining experience in Florence? How far could I take it? So you sit there, and when you go through this, okay, how can we make this stupid? You start coming up with all these funny ideas. And one of the ridiculous ideas I had was, if I'm going to have a meal in Florence, what is iconic to Florence? If you look at uh, Paris, Eiffel Tower. If you look at New York, Statue of Liberty, Chrysler Building, something like Madison Square Garden. What's in Florence? that is quintessentially Florentine and can only be there. Michelangelo's David. It stands in the Academia de Galleria Museum. That's my ridiculous moonshot. That's my go for stupid moment. How about me having a meal with David? Actually setting up a table of six at the feet of Michelangelo's David and having a meal in my own museum at nine o'clock at night. So I went for it. And when you actually go with this childlike fun and you speak to people and go, hey, I know this is ridiculous, but wouldn't it be amazing if it could happen? Wouldn't it be? When you start doing that, people get on board. People want to be part of a story. They want to be part of a fantasy. They want to be part of, oh, my God, there's this moonshot. Do you know, when I contacted the Academia de Gallery and said, this is what I want to do, they fell in love with the idea. Wow. I actually ended up having a, my clients, a table of six, at the feet of Michelangelo's David. I thought, I've got to get some entertainment in a museum because it's very quiet. I've got a string quartet in there. And then when I got that, like all entrepreneurs, we go, okay, I've got that. Hmm, how can I make it bigger? 
I ended up getting Andrea Bocelli to serenade them while they ate their pasta halfway through their meal. So you will be surprised at when you ask the ridiculous of yourself, you stand a high probability to get it as long as you can actually go with it with force, with your aggravation, with curiosity, and with that childlike mentality. It's like the kid that stands by the fridge just before dinner's being served going, I want a lollipop. You can't have a lollipop, but I want a lollipop, but you're having dinner soon. I want a lollipop. The kid either gets a lollipop or he gets told to shut up. But when you're that child asking for the amazing, you'll be amazed at how many times you pull it off. And when you do, every time you do, that's your new standard. That's yeah. your new level of acceptance. That's an important lesson to, to go back to being a kid. That must have been a heck of a meal. All, all I got to say is I'm- Oh, it was incredible. It was- um. I'll be honest with you, when that, got, when that got pulled off and I was sat next to Andrea Bocelli in Florence, and I, I live here in Los Angeles, so I don't have any connections with Florence, mm -hmm. um, but um, I just went in there with childlike humor and, and adventure that wouldn't this be absolutely amazing? And when they said yes, I, I was excited that they said yes, but then I walked down the road and I was like, oh, crap, I got it. You know, I, 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 I asked, I pulled it off, and I got it. And I, I literally had tingles. Um, so it's amazing. Yeah, be, be careful what you ask for. That's right. I mean, I'm sure nobody's ever asked them for that before. And they were like, hey, yeah, this sounds like a great idea. Bring it bring it on. Yeah. Awesome. Yep. Steve, you're wearing this, uh, this sweatshirt. It says Sims Distillery on it, Distillery on it, <laughs> which I love the name. Talk about what that is for the listeners, please. I love aggravation. I've mentioned that a few times in it. I find aggravation is the ingredient to momentum. And I wanted to get smarter. I wanted to get better. I wanted the unfair advantage. My son is, was 24 years old, and he wanted it. Now, of course, I'm looking at my twilight years. So I'm looking at my, how do I get residual income? How do I make my brand cohesive and go on without me? He's like, how do I get on my journey? So we both wanted different things. But we knew we needed to speak to people smarter than us. So we invested a lot of money in masterminds, communities, events to try and get better. And every time we would get in there, be a case of, oh, well, great. We'd love to talk about this, but those are for the platinum members. So if you'd like to upgrade, we'll talk about it up there. Or they became just a lecture series that, you know, you were there for two days and different people went up and then they buggered off and, and that was it. There was no community. And we got aggravated enough that we decided to launch what we believe a mastermind is all about. It's a community of like-minded, aggravated people at different positions in their life and their business that want more but can harness the community to give them those unfair advantages of that information, that knowledge, and that education. We called it a distillery because, A, I like drinking whiskey, and people know that. It's part of my brand. Yeah. But also the distillery is something that collects all the raw grains and ingredients and then turns it into 100% proof. So I thought, well, isn't that us? You know, we've got all of these. And as you've said it, bad habits from the corporate, misconception and myths of being an entrepreneur. We've got all of these things in us. But if we could take just the raw ingredients of each person's uniqueness, and distill them into 100% proof and then spit them back out into the world with an unfair advantage to win, 
That's what a Sims Distillery is. And you can look, you can find out about it at simsdistillery.com. But I urge everyone to find the room or community that challenges them to be better. Yeah, agreed 100%. There's a lot of masterminds. I've been in several of them. There's, there's a lot of fluff, right? It's Oh, uh, yeah. There's many not... good ones. Don't get me wrong. There's many good ones, but there's many out there now that are in the business of being a business and making money by just churning people over and selling them up. And that's that I just found a bit offensive. There's a lot of choices out there for mastermind groups or just to get around people, period, like-minded people. Like We hear yeah. that. How do we do that, right? What are some tips that you would give to somebody when they're searching for a group of people to be around? Like, what are some of the qualities that they should be searching for in order to, as you said, 100 proof themselves? All right. So the first conversation you have is, is with yourself, okay? You can't get into a relationship if you're a fake. So what's annoying you? Who are you? What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What are your pain points? Understand you. And then lead with that and start getting into conversations with, hey, I've got this problem. I'm in a corporate world. I'm also in a relationship and I've got kids, but I want to know how to step out. Does anyone in this group have any experience of that? So you've got to lay yourself out there to go, look, I've got this pain. Have any of you ever had this problem? And when you step forward and they go, actually, Billy, I've got that. Roger, I've got that. Mary, I've been through that. When they're having a conversation and you can connect, think of it as dating. You've got to be able to connect with the people in the room. And then you've got to look at that room and go, okay, do you have the substance and credibility to challenge me? One of the best conversations I ever had was, um, was with a, a good friend of mine, Jay Abraham. And I was talking to Jay about this brilliant business idea I had. And it was absolutely phenomenal. We were going to make millions of it. And I pitched him on this idea. And he looked at me and he said, um, is that it? I was like, what do you mean, is that it? You know, I've just laid out a phenomenal business plan. And he turned around and he went, you know, with your enthusiasm, connections, motivations, and skill set, I was just expecting a little bit more. Now, that's what you need. You need people to poke at your ideas. You need people to change. You don't want cheerleaders. You don't want people to go, oh, you're going to be great. You're going to... That's what your grandma does, okay? Let her have her role. But if anyone starts doing that to you, walk away from them. You want people to go, why do you think you can do that? And, and why now? Why are you willing to... These are not skeptical people. These are people that are fine-tuning your sword before you go into battle by getting you battle ready. So look for challenges by having conversations. Don't buy into the fluff. Don't buy into the beautiful websites, but start a conversation. And if they won't have a conversation with you until they've signed up, that's a bit of a red flag for a start. Yeah. Oh, that's good stuff. You do need to be challenged. We don't need to be surrounded by a bunch of cheerleaders. That's bad for you when that happens. I think it's time to I think it's time to go. Yeah. I think it's time to get around different people for sure. Steve, I'm I'm super curious. Okay. And I, I hope you I know you're going to share this, but I've heard that you have been quoted as the real life Wizard of Oz. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was an interesting one. Entrepreneur and uh, Forbes magazine, they like over a period of like two months, they did this expose on this guy that was, I was called the most connected man in the world that you've never heard of. Um, and I would work with billionaires. And I've worked with, you know, 
people that you've never heard of that own things like countries. And I've worked with Elton John, Elon Musk, Richard Branson, you know, some of the most powerful people in the planet. And then one day, someone leaked me kind of thing. And uh, they wrote this beautiful piece on me and called me the real life Wizard of Oz. Um, it was great for media, bad for business. Because I was always the guy that was unknown. I was always the guy that lurked in the back of the room and could get you a, a drum lesson with Guns N' Roses or could get you to the Elton John Oscar party or to could get a museum. To show. No one knew who I was. And that worked very, very well for me in that circle. As soon as I got all of that media, it kind of killed a lot of my business. And of course, I was all of a sudden being content. And I would walk into an event and they'd be like, oh, you're Steve Sim. And I was like, crap. And it was actually a, a bad thing. They, they said there's no such thing as bad media. That was kind of bad media for me because I lost a lot of business. But the funny thing was, within a month of that, I lost quite a few of my top clients because they couldn't be uh, seen with me because they didn't want anyone to know that it was me that was pulling it off and not them. Um, but within a month, I actually ended up having uh, coffee with someone from Simon & Schuster and they gave me a book deal on the spot. And I ended up writing my first book, Bluefish in the Art of Making Things Happen. Didn't think it would do anything. Didn't think anyone would really give a crap. It became a bestseller in something like about eight or 10 countries. It got translated all over the planet. I'm being paid to speak, coach, train. I throw my own events called Speakeasies. And it just, it just took off. Yeah. And then last year, I wrote my second book, Go for Stupid. So... That moniker of the real-life Wizard of Oz changed my life. I just didn't know where it was changing it to. But again, it's that rough sea. That, that statement created a sea. But as entrepreneurs, we see things differently. So I saw an opportunity. I went with it, and then I, I went with it. And now I don't own the concierge firm, and now I travel and help other people be impactful. Awesome. Great story. I'm so glad I asked that. And yes, you saw the opportunity, even though at the time it wasn't the best. It was like, ah, I'm losing yeah. business. I'm not going, I'm not having a, a great time, but you saw the opportunity and you were ready for it. You were prepared because again, you built that mindset muscle and you know that being an entrepreneur, like, hey, you said in the very beginning, you're going to get sued. You're going to lose money. Like bad stuff's going to happen to you. Just be ready for yep. it. And hey, look, I can attest to that. So you're much more prepared to handle it when you know it's coming and then yeah. you always come out better on the other side, like always. Right. Yep. Yep. Steve, this has been tremendous. Go for stupid. I can't wait to wait to read the book. Go for stupid.com. Is that where we should go to grab the, the book? Yeah, well, you can grab the book obviously at Amazon or you can go to stevedsims.com and you can find out about the book there. Mm -hmm. um, but here's something for free. I did an audio version of the book, but I didn't want to be in an audio tank because they're really, really small little boxes. So I borrowed a friend of mine's studio and I video recorded the entire 12 chapters and then they scraped the audio for the audio book. So we were left with 12 videos of me reading the book. So if you go to goforstupid.com, you can watch me read the book, all 12 chapters for free. So there you go. You can't do better than that. I, I agree. I'd much rather watch you read the book than read the book on its own. That'd be way more exciting. <laughs> there you go. Steve, you're awesome. I love the energy. Uh, it definitely is oozing off of you. Before we wrap up here, 
hit us with your best, your best stuff. Maybe it's a quote you got, some parting thoughts. Mm-hmm. I mean, give us, oh, give, a, give, give us something good here. Oh God, that's a that's a lineup, isn't it? Um, it sure is. I'm probably going to go back to one of my oldest pivots um, and hinges. You know, they ask, you know, what was that big pivot, that big hinge? No, it's the small hinges that move big doors. And I remember my dad, who was just this thick-headed bricklayer from East London, and I was a kid. I hadn't started my entrepreneurial journey, but I knew I was aggravated. And as we were walking... He, uh, for, and I was still have no idea why this happened because he wasn't philosophical in any way, shape, or form. And as we were walking, he just looked at me and he said, Son, always remember this. No one has ever drowned by falling in the water, they drowned by staying there. And then he just walked off. And I remember being a kid going, The fuck was, you know, what? I thought he'd been taken over by a fortune cookie or something. And I just dismissed it. And then it was years later and events later and rough seas and turmoils and being ripped off and being lied to that you do realize that you have the choice if you want to stay there and drown. Perfect. See, aren't you glad I asked you that? that was, there you that, go. Well done. Way to, way to drop a bomb on us at the end. Steve, <laughs> thanks so much. Thank Appreciate you. you. Everyone, go grab the book. Go listen. Go watch Steve read the book. Make it a great day.